You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning, Grace Community Church. I would rather be looking at your beautiful faces from this position, but it's an empty room for the most part. David Calvert and I are here. The worship team has already recorded some songs, and we are so glad to be able to come to you this way. I want to ask you at the beginning of the message, if you could identify with anyone in Scripture, who would it be? There may be several people with whom you identify, and others you may aspire to be. But remember, as Sally Lloyd-Jones tells us, there's only one hero in the Bible, and his name is Jesus. Even so, it is nice to find men and women in the Bible that God used in spite of their weaknesses and their frailties. People who are a lot like you and me. Um, it is also heartening to see how God's people handle themselves in crises. So, who in Scripture reminds you of yourself? I would like to say that I am Moses, or like Moses because of his meekness and his wisdom. Uh, or maybe I would like to be like Joseph because he always did the right thing no matter what. Uh, perhaps you would say that you would like to be like Mary, always sitting at the feet of Jesus. But more often than not, we identify with Peter, who although he was passionate for the Lord, often found himself with his foot in his mouth. Or like Martha, well-intentioned, but driven by wrong priorities. I suppose the person I most readily identify with in Scripture is Timothy. Even though Timothy was a minister of the gospel, he was a rather timid and fearful person. In today's text, 2 Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7, we will find the Apostle Paul seeking to boost Timothy's courage to fulfill God's calling on his life. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather it is the willingness to do what is right in the face of danger and difficulty. Debilitating fear will paralyze you if you give in to it. Maybe you can identify with some of the following difficulties that provoke major fear, sometimes unexpectedly. Finances, health, position in life, what you think it ought to be anyway. Maybe you're not up to it, or maybe other people don't think you're up to it. Job security, concerns about children or parents, a successful relative, or a difficult boss may cause you fear. Coronavirus, public speaking, two words, organic chemistry, witnessing the unknown. Do not conflate being prudent during a health crisis, as we have now, with being controlled by fear. We submit to the flu shot. We take antibiotics when we need them, and we look both ways before we cross the street. Whether you are out and about or not during this time is not a measure of your courage or your lack thereof. 
Rather than judging one another, let us instead minister to one another and resist any temptation to think badly about someone who is handling the crisis different than we are. Things are probably going to look a lot different a week from now than they do today. Timothy's fears were ministry-related, but we will find a great deal of courage to face our fears, all fears, as we read this text. While home groups are not able to, to gather in person this week, many will meet online. In this week's lesson, we will look uh, well beyond 2 Timothy to think about the ways God has positioned his people for this and all other crises. The questions uh, in our home group this week will hopefully begin to prepare us uh, for thinking that is away from an understanding of Scripture that works really well in a good time, but not so much when times get hard. If you're not currently in a home group, this would be a great week to connect with a leader and say, hey, can you include me on those conversations? You don't have to say anything. Just, look, just sit there and look beautiful like you are. And you'll recognize, even as we talk, the, the benefit of group discussion. It's just as true now as it is when we gather in person. We learn best in community. Even so, I will post the questions, even if you're not connected with the home group, I'm going to post the questions in Faith Life today and then post leader's notes later in the week. The letter that we know as 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to his young charge from the Mamertine prison in Rome or something very much like it. This prison was reserved for political prisoners awaiting execution. How appropriate this morning that we are reading a letter written from Rome, Italy. It's a good time for me to say that Joe and Stefania have opened doors for the gospel during this difficult time in Italy. And we want to remember to pray for all the Hunzikers, including Aaron, who is sheltering in place with the Willifords uh, these days. So think about it, though. The Mamertine prison a few of us visited there a couple of years ago. It, just imagine, it, it, it's a dank dungeon of a place. There's a hole cut in the floor, and, it, and, and a prisoner would be dropped or thrown into this hole, and, and he would drop about 12 to 15 feet. Uh, this place was originally built as a cistern that filled from a spring beneath the floor during rains. So it will not surprise you at all that sometimes during a rainy period, prisoners would drown. As many as 30 prisoners lived in this dark, damp, and as you would imagine, nasty stone room that measured 30 feet by 22 feet. If Paul was in the Mamertine or something like it, he would have dictated his letter from below, which would also mean that he had a pretty good relationship with the guards who would have allowed perhaps Luke to take the dictation and then pass it on to Timothy. The way that Paul addressed Timothy here is only one of several New, uh, New Testament indications of Timothy's fearfulness. Timothy's knowledge of Paul's location didn't help him, but Paul's words, which were in truth God's words, 
strengthen our fearful man. It is a time we hear God's word to us. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. If you would, please stand for the... No, I'm just kidding. You can stay where you are. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Father, we want to ask you to speak to our hearts uh, during an uncertain time, at least, a difficult time uh, for many. And we pray that you would encourage our hearts and that we might, like Timothy, hear these words and allow the Holy Spirit to comfort and calm our troubled hearts. Whatever our concern may be, it may be well beyond this crisis that people need to hear this encouraging word from you. So open our hearts and fill them full, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What an encouraging word from the Apostle Paul to a fearful minister who was deeply loved by the Lord. If you are a fearful person or if you are afraid, know this, God loves you deeply, dearly. Paul reminded Timothy in verses 1 to 6 that God had given him both a good family and a spiritual gift to preach the gospel to believers. He also called him to preach the gospel to unbelievers and those who opposed the gospel that Paul had given to him. Encouraging Timothy to fan into flame the spiritual gift that God had given him did not mean that Paul thought Timothy was on the sidelines. He just knew that Timothy refrained from certain things out of fear. He was simply encouraging him to continue in the work that God had called him to by stoking the fire and fanning the flame so that it would burn brightly. Timothy knew, just as Paul knew, that the political tides were turning toward persecution of the church and life was about to change. Life was about to become extremely difficult for those who followed Christ. But the Lord had not changed. Paul knew that such prospects of change had potential to cause paralyzing fear in Timothy's heart. But Paul charged Timothy not to succumb to the fear that most certainly did not come from the Lord, but rather to embrace the alternatives to fear that the Holy Spirit has provided for all believers. Power, love, and self-control. In this time, you do not have to find something within you. The Holy Spirit who lives in you has already been working in your life, in your heart. Well, you might say, that's a nice verse with a beautiful sentiment, but I'm still afraid. Will I ever get rid of this fear? Not in the way that you want to, not likely. Not in your own strength anyway. But God can deal with this fear for and through you by the power of His Holy Spirit. The word 
fear comes from the Greek word delia, and it carries the word cowardice, or it carries the idea of cowardice. When someone says, you are a coward, you can respond, yeah, what of it? So is Timothy, and God used him greatly. In fact, Paul was passing the torch to Timothy. Think about this. He wasn't passing it to Barnabas or Luke or Silas. And we don't know. Timothy didn't play nearly as important a role in the early church as others did. But Paul, in his heart, was passing this torch to Timothy. And the Holy Spirit led him to do so. It's the letter from which we are reading today. How will we overcome the debilitating fear that seems to be our constant companion? Paul lists three Holy Spirit-driven responses to fear, beginning with power. <clears throat> Though we may not think that we need it, sometimes reminders of the most basic responsibility or statements of truth help us keep our footing in an ever-changing world. I am assuming that there are a lot of college students who are tuning in and joining us, as you should in our church family, as part of our church family. So I'm assuming that there are a number of athletes who are watching both college, high school, middle school. A lot of athletes, former athletes, those who think you still got it and probably don't. But you remember, do you not, how often the fundamentals were stressed to you, both before and during the game or the match. Paul reminded Timothy that the fear inside him did not come from God. He also reminded Timothy that he would find power to overcome those fears, but it would be from the Holy Spirit, not something that he could work up on his own. The Holy Spirit would give him power to overcome the debilitating effects, the destructive effects of fear. And that's good news for us, because fear has a lot of bad does a lot of bad things to us. You, you know about the negative effects to fear, don't you? Uh, fear can have a destructive effect on our health. Fear can keep us from eating and sleeping properly, and stress will take its toll on our health. Do your best to eat well and to exercise during this extended time at home. But more importantly, remember that Jesus promised that the helper or the advocate would come to be with you. He's fighting for you. Always. The Holy Spirit will calm your heart. If you will yield to him. Fear also. Has a destructive effect. On our relationships. When we are dominated by fears. We tend to become self-centered. And when you're living in close quarters. It's a bad time to be self-centered. Self-absorbed people can be difficult people. And most of us have fear at some level, and most of us are self-absorbed at some level as well. You know what it's like to be around someone who cannot get his mind off of his problems. Maybe it's just body language, or, or when there's a break in the conversation, your friend says, you know, and that's the only topic that is discussed. Look, we all have times when we need for others to focus attention onto us. But if we're not careful, fear, fears will dominate our relationships. And fear can have a destructive effect on our productivity. 
I imagine that a lot of you are watching a good bit of Netflix to keep your mind off the possible impact of the coronavirus on your family. I, I get that. I understand. Take advantage of this time, though, to do something uh, productive. Learn something as a family or read the books that you've always wanted to read. Winston Churchill knew the paralysis of fear during World War II. Uh, Churchill said that there are two things that everybody wants in war. More time and assurance of victory. But war affords neither. We are somewhat in a war right now. And it's often the same in life, whether we are in a crisis like we're in or not. It is especially difficult for people, for a people, that would be all of us who have had life so good for such a long time to know what to do when it all goes bad or even all goes away. I am praying every day for the Lord to protect every one of us and our loved ones as well. But there are no guarantees. That is why we need courage from the Lord. We also need God's love. Now, this is an interesting contrast to fear. Love instead of fear. When we get it when Paul says to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. We would also understand if Paul had said, God has not given you a spirit of hatred, but of love. But for him to say, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, that seems a bit strange, don't you think? How does love overcome fear? Well, it takes our focus off ourselves and puts it on the Lord and on others. It causes us to always prefer others' interests above our own. But so often, it is someone else who is the cause of our fears, someone who has been cruel to us, who, or who may think we are strange or wrong, or even an idiot if we speak to them. Then, because we need someone to blame, our fears turn into bitterness. Love drives out fear by helping us to overcome bitterness toward others. That gives us courage to treat them as we should when we love them, regardless of how they treat us. Just imagine what Jesus did for us. We know how God feels about sin. And when we were apart from Christ, we earned. We were born with it to begin with, but then we set about earning our status as enemies of God. Even so, Jesus took the punishment upon himself that we deserve, deserve, which was nothing less than the wrath of a holy and all-powerful God. Our anger towards others is nothing close to the righteous anger that the Lord had. But the Lord would have been justified in making all of us pay for our sins throughout eternity. He did not, though. He loved us despite our sin. And he sent Jesus to die in our place. And those of us who have been washed clean of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, who have repented of our sins and trusted Christ as our Savior, are called to sacrificially love others rather than succumbing to bitterness toward them. 
Not only do we need to overcome bitterness toward others, but we also need to overcome bitterness toward ourselves. Fact is, a lot of us don't like ourselves very much. Well, we at least don't like the way we look or certain habits or certain difficulties or certain features of our personalities. <coughs> we don't like it when our fears keep us from doing the right thing. But when we dislike ourselves, it is impossible to freely give to others. Therefore, we need to love ourselves. Not, not, not in a, a self-absorbed kind of way, but we need to appreciate the way that God has made us to be and to be grateful for the Imago Dei we see in the mirror. With so many different opinions about how others should respond to this particular health crisis, you are either most likely frustrated with them or frustrated with yourself or both. We do others no good when we're bitter toward ourselves. Love helps us overcome self-hatred and self-defeating attitudes and emotions. And love ultimately helps us to overcome bitterness toward God. What if I lose my job? I can only be out of work for so long. What if someone else in my family gets sick, really sick? What if our country suffers a great deal more economically than any of us has ever known? And we don't have to look too far, far back to see a really bad time in 2008. If God is all-powerful, then he is responsible for my circumstances. Why is this happening now? Does God not care? Understandable questions. But this is the time when it is proven how deep and how real our faith really is. The first and great commandment, according to Jesus, is, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Knowing how difficult life can be, trust is required for those who will love God. That's my problem. I just don't have any faith. How much faith is required? Faith the size of a mustard seed. When I love God, when he enables me to love him, I trust that he knows what is best for my life. Even this poor health, even this trial, even this person who hurts me so much. Love overcomes fear. It is a wonderful response to fear, as is last in 2 Timothy 2, 1, 7, self-control. The King James Version of this word is a good one. It's a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. We make a lot of bad decisions based on fear, don't we? We allow our fears to keep us from witnessing the moments and, and witnessing and the moment has passed. We refuse to confront our children with our concerns about their behavior, and then it's too late when we do. The concerns we have at present are too many to list. President Roosevelt said shortly after Pearl Harbor had been attacked. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. 
Sorry, that was not that great. But look, no president has ever been a match for the Holy Spirit. A sound and disciplined mind moves us from fear to courage, which again does not mean that we won't be afraid, but that we will act in the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture has a lot to say about such a mind. Instead of fear, God has given us power, love, and self-control. So how might we overcome fear? Here are five practices and attitudes that will help. Even though I will not give scripture for every one of these points, these are all biblical principles. First, we must spend more time in the Word. That's the beginning of faith for all our problems. Romans 10 says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. The Word of Christ in Romans 10:17 most likely refers to the gospel, to the words about Christ, rather than the word of God as a more general statement. But the principle is true, that the more time we spend in the word, the more our faith is increased. Second, pray specifically for victory. <clears throat> Don't be content with, Lord, help me to overcome my fears, but pray for God's supernatural power to enable you to overcome your fear of witnessing to your neighbor, or of losing your job, or that the groceries are going to run out, or even more frightening, that toilet paper is going to run out. Be specific about the fear that you want to overcome. Third, confront, don't run. In track and field, there are two basic kinds of runners, sprinters and long-distance runners. Now, that may offend you if you are one who runs 400 meters, and I don't mean to upset you, but you get the point. If you're a sprinter, you run as fast as you can from the moment the gun goes off. If you were a long-distance runner, you run in a mile or two, you're going to pace yourself. When it comes to trials, I can tend to be an unusual athlete. I start off sprinting, and I keep running just as hard and fast as I can, as long as I can. But that's Foolish when you think about it, because it only works if I can outrun the Lord. Better to face your fears than run from them. Fourth, expect setbacks. There is no way that life is going to stay the same after this health crisis. But our hope, brothers and sisters, is not in this world or in this life. Our hope is in eternal life through Jesus. Being realistic about life and about our inability to manage such a time as this will help us deal with our fears. We can expect setbacks, but just because we lose a battle doesn't mean that we've lost the war. What do you mean when you say, God is going to take care of us, I know he is. It is a mistake to think that we can go through life without setbacks and without loss. Better to face our fears knowing that bad things may, very well may happen, but that God is bigger than our fears. Even so, we rest, rest in the truth that God is sovereign 
and he is good. Actually, it wouldn't be a bad thing to rust in that truth, to grow old living in that truth. God is sovereign, and he is good. Last, thank God for all victories. We often plead in earnest to God, oh God, please help me with this, please help this happen. And then we pass him in thinking. We thank him in passing is what I'm trying to say. As we're on the way out the door to celebrate with our, well, okay, we're not on the way this week out the door to celebrate with our friends, but you know what I'm saying. We should let the difficulty of this time, think about this, let the difficulty of this time Sink in so that we will be as grateful as we always should have been for the basics of life and the ways that God moves to meet our needs. When Jesus healed the ten lepers, do you think that all of them were grateful? If you know anything about leprosy, you know that they were extremely grateful. Uh, They were happy. They were thankful. But how many returned to thank Jesus? Only one. And it moved Jesus. It moved him so much that he said, where do you think the other nine are? You don't suppose they're out there feeling general feelings of gratitude, do you? When you offer focused praise and gratitude for something that the Lord has done in your life, the success that the Holy Spirit has given you will be reinforced as you acknowledge the source of your strength. We may be heading to a time when it will be important to distinguish between needs and desires in a whole new way. You may have heard that a person with little who is grateful is never truly poor, and a person with much who is ungrateful is never truly rich. If you are a fearful person, hear this again. It's basic. It's important. God is sovereign, and he loves you. God is sovereign, and he is good. If you belong to Jesus, he views you differently than you view yourself. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus, and he is pleased. You are not defined by your fears. You are defined by the Savior who lives in you, by the Holy Spirit, who causes you to do the will of the Father, even when you don't feel like it, even when you're scared. God has chosen you to be a specific piece of the grand design of a puzzle that he has for all of history, this time, this place, right now. Pray for revival in this time and love God more than you love life itself. When we come to the end, we will fully realize what we claim to believe now, that this life is a blink, but those who belong to Jesus will sing his praises forever. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Father, bless this time. Bless this reading of your word and the thoughts about them, the preaching of your word, and be with us this week. Strengthen us, encourage us, give us courage to love others, to love you, and to pursue Jesus. 
It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.